0: Welcome to In The Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following podcast is called Addressing How Hard It Is, and it's different from all our previous podcasts in that it's a combination of two separate Zoom sessions occurring a day apart on September 4th and 5th, 2021. The reason I've combined these two sessions is that we neglected to turn on the recording on one of them until partway through the session, and also because the theme on both of them was pretty much the same, which is about how hard things are and how they're likely to continue to be, given the many crises of our world. If this is a subject that you find difficult or don't agree with or don't feel up to listening to, I suggest that you skip this one. However, if you have been struggling with feelings about life in our current circumstances, and forebodings about the future, you will find numerous perspectives from our group on these topics. The condition of our world, the intensifying pressure of coalescing crises happening at once is one in which it's very, very hard for us to think about the future in a very positive way. We have so many things that are incredibly troubling. And we are privy to this information. It used to be in times gone by, if you lived in some remote village and you didn't have even much access to news about what was happening in the next village over, You weren't under a barrage of bad news. Bad things happened, but they happened in a kind of human scale timeline. But we do not have that luxury. We have tremendous crises that we are privy to in terms of information, but that also we're experiencing very directly. Those of you who are in California and Oregon certainly know what I'm talking about in terms of Fires and heat and drought. And wherever you are in the world, there's your own version of it happening. When a human brain is subjected to ongoing stress and fear, it stops functioning properly. It takes a really strong, strong mind to think clearly, to Assess the situation accurately and respond. Often we go into a kind of panic, and it drains us of our clear perception. Now, I'm going to propose to us that we who love the Dharma, we have been, perhaps unknowingly readied for this moment, just as having the Dharma as your ally readies you for your own death. It's been my great privilege in life to have known a lot of people who were Dharma lovers and who died but were so graceful in their death as a result of a long-time habit of the way that they used their attention in letting go and in clear seeing and in getting what the priorities are here. It's been my great luck to have witnessed this over and over and over again with people I have known. And I feel that we're in a kind of a species challenge now, not just a personal challenge of our own personal demise, but a species challenge. And that's a very, very hard thing to look at. But with the Dharma as our ally, What the Dharma tells you in your heart of hearts is that you bow down to the truth. You bow to the truth. You do what you can to make things better, of course. You're always on the side of the greater good. You try your very, very best. And you bow to the truth. You accept the things you cannot change. You find some graceful way to be. One of the things I say to myself, Well, I say several, I often say, let
1: go. And I also say, be strong. It's a time for courage. So
0: we are called upon to be strong in our own case for our own self and be strong for the people around you. Now, I know all of us have our moments when things are just tough, they're just hard, really hard. Many people have lost their businesses, lost their jobs, lost their lives, are sick. Here in this country, we're virtually under martial law. Half the country is locked down tight, really tight lockdown. And I know many of you on this call have been in places that were locked down also at times, or maybe you still are. And yet I wake up in my day and the birds are singing and I'm grateful for my cup of tea or my smoothie, as the case may be, depending on the day. I love my friends. I love my family. There's myriad tiny joys. There's also an awareness of what's going on. It's coexisting in my mind. I'm not missing the show. I'm seeing it pretty pretty carefully. And, I just keep coming back to, okay, this is it. This is my life. These are my moments. This is my moment in history on earth in this time.
1: <laughs> How will I spend it? How will I honor it?
2: Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a, a sobriety and uh... A seriousness to what you're to what you're speaking to today. And it's you know, I think the moment shifts and we have these little moments where we break out of the lockdown and life can kind of approximate some kind of normality.
3: Yeah.
2: And yet there's the awareness that it's likely temporary, you know, and that it will pass back into that state of lockdown. I had the opportunity today here in Portland to to attend the first in person dance gathering that I've done since before the pandemic.
0: Mm.
2: You know, it was masked and relatively distanced, which is a very strange way to dance. Mm. The experience of, you know, being in a room with other bodies, all listening to the same music, sharing the same floor. You know, when you when you stomp your foot down into the floor, you can feel the vibrations of other people's feet. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, the three dimensions of moving bodies in real time is just I don't recall ever being so affected by, you know, just a basic Saturday morning dance. Yes.
0: Yeah. This whole circumstance has thrown into high relief the the pleasures and the, and the pleasure of camaraderie and of of good company and of just shared moments like that stomping on the floor and feeling the vibrations all the way to your nose. So, you know, it's very, we're just in one of those times i keep I keep likening it to wartime. Now, obviously, it's we're not officially at war, but there's something very uh, similar about the uncertainty of life. You, you just don't know what's around the corner. You just can't make certain types of plans, right? You can't even really think of them in a realistic way. So you're really forced in a strange, interesting way into present awareness, into immediate gratitude, into the kind of so that would be the clear recognition, first of all, of anyone in hospice. But like, what about all the people really who had sudden deaths? but who were on their last days and didn't know, of course, that they were going to then soon be dead. Do you think about just the way they might have been using their attention, willy-nilly, as one does? We're actually in a time where I think, I, I should speak for myself, that the presence of death and of the uncertainty of everything is closer than I have ever felt it. And not just because of my age, just in general. And I'm sure my age is part of it, but, but it's just much, much closer than I have ever felt it. And that I also count as an ally. You know, I've, I've, I've said it many, many times on these calls. You've probably heard me. I feel more awake than I ever have. I mean, I feel very awake. And at the same time, I am aware of the very thing I was talking about, the kind of pressure about the uncertainty and the way that that can cloud the mind a bit, like I notice when I start feeling like I'm getting confused, the moments where I feel a little crazy in a way that I haven't since I was pretty young, but like moments I'll have of like, are you losing your mind? I usually, you know, take myself in hand pretty quickly at that point, but more moments of that than than I've had for a long time. And at the same time, this general sense of like I've
2: been plugged into some kind of electric transformer. I mean, if you're a perceptive or sensitive being living in a world that is exponentially heading towards collapse in various forms, it's impossible, especially when you're paying attention to not experience some of the craziness that is surrounding. It's just it's like, I've been noticing it too. And some of it stems from working in a social service context with a lot of people who are severely mentally ill. Folks who are experiencing really severe mental illness and responding to internal stimuli on a consistent basis. And there's 60 of them in the complex that I'm there to serve. And, you know, you get used to the baseline of it. You know, people just responding to things that you can't see. And these are folks who are, you know, responding to a different reality than maybe the one that we're all experiencing. But there's one that was just saying out loud to herself over and over, the world is turning into drought. She was saying, the world is consumed by drought and darkness. I was looking at her and I was just like, nodding my head a little bit. This was one of the more coherent things that she was saying. And, you know, as as she continued to repeat this to herself out loud and, you know, others were listening and then started to repeat their own kind of horror gloom stories, you know, it's impossible to not feel that current moving moving without you. And again, this is an extreme population, but we all feel each other's fear. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, part of my job is to hold space for that and to let that exist and to not try to convince people to feel otherwise. But then again, it's like the more fear that I feel around me, the more it kind of forces me into a certain steadiness because I can and, and yeah. because of the, of the grace of that. Yeah, And it feels in a certain way like, OK, you know, wartime and here are your marching orders. Yeah. Yeah about stillness
0: <laughs> you were you were being readied for this whether you knew it or not this your your entire interest in life your pull to the light and to the dharma was a kind of readying as it turns out I mean it's it, it was readying for you for all kinds of reasons for all of us to be able to feel more deeply and love more and enjoy, uh, delight in many, many things and not sweat the small stuff, all the usual stuff and readying for our own personal death. But I do also sense that we are going to be very needed to stay steady among what will be an increasing stress level of insanity. And you're seeing people on the front lines, but uh, those lines will probably get larger As the desperation gets more intensified. So I don't want to scare everyone, but I really feel another thing I've been thinking very deeply about is, you know, for me, the the deeper understandings of what this is all about has never been about a bliss trip. It just isn't. Bliss can be a part of life, and joy, of course, is welcome. We love, we love that. But a lot of spiritual scenes are kind of Promising these baskets of delights of what you're going to experience if you get with their program and you try to get enlightened in their program or you do the right mantras or you are mindful enough, et cetera. And for me, it's always been about telling the truth about what this is and then having to find peace in that, not trying to pretend that it's something that it isn't. And let's face it, it's hard it's just hard. It's really hard. Even if it's not hard for you personally, if you're a feeling person and you look around you and see how hard it is, we're surrounded by loss and sorrow and death and cruelty and madness. And so even if your own life is lovely, if you're an empathic person, you also feel sad for the sorrows of the world and of the beings. And the the four-legged as well. My heart breaks for the animals a lot. And so it's part of the recognition in all of this is that it's okay to hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay to have those moments where you feel, you know, like Jesus on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? (laughs) You know, those moments of how have you forsaken me? And it's in our case, because we're not necessarily talking to a, daddy god in the sky but we might say to ourselves how have i forsaken me in moments where my own mind starts to get trapped in its in its scary pictures trapped
2: in the scary pictures and i think the response to that which i find most problematic within myself is that call to numbness you know to want to just numb out just get me out of this reality binge watch television like whatever it is just wanting to unplug the brain entirely and numb out from the feelings yeah. and that's where i feel like i'm forsaking myself and forsaking my duties as yeah. a human called to stand in steadiness during this time and i hear
0: you about i hear you about that i would like to just give you permission and all of us to sometimes do that if you really need to reset into kind of Numbness, as you say. Obviously, I wouldn't recommend it as a steady state, but there are times when one does feel at the edge, and that you realize, "I can't push this any further, or I'm going to be just another body on the pile." Absolutely, and
2: and and yet I know, because I've been (laughs) been experimenting with this. You know that if you develop a habit of it, it overtakes. Mm. It takes this other habit that tends more towards peace. And the kind of strength that you're describing when you say to yourself, be strong, which doesn't mean take a break every now and then. But when I'm using alcohol and television every night to just unplug all of those, all of those stress tendrils that are shooting out into the world and feeding off of it or experiencing it, then I find I lose connection with that deeper, more abiding connection to my own peace and quiet. Yeah, I just like so much of this. It feels like, what am I feeding? What am I putting energy into? And I think now more than ever, like for me personally, that habit of really finding that deep will and being willing to cry or do something vigorous to move some of the anger out, like something, but something that the feelings move through rather than just get unplugged feels really important personally speaking, but yes, for each, for each their own. And those moments, those moments of escape are precious and necessary too.
0: Yes, indeed. And one has to be patient and, and loving to oneself when you're just at your, you hit the wall and you need, you just need whatever comfort you can find.
4: Yeah. Back in New York, feeling feeling lighter after the trip
3: yeah you know,
4: it's been a long time coming and uh, grateful just to be able to find a window that I was able to go home and we were well, there was a lot we were able to get together and we were able to send April on our way and um, it was really nice to be around fa- friends and family and there was a lot of hugging It's just impossible not to, and it was my plan, it was like, but it's just, you
0: know. Yeah, of course, yeah.
4: We had, we had, on, it was kind of a three-day thing, and on the first day, April wanted her ashes. Let me see if I can, this here, can you you see that? No, can you see? I can
0: see, yes, a mountain, and yeah.
4: Yeah. And a beach. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it was really beautiful. there. Uh,
3: mm.
4: It was on the west coast of Ireland. Um, Whereabouts? Uh, it, yeah, in, in Galway, right on the border. It was, it, it was in Connemara, right on the border of Galway and Mayo. And it was just like I had the ashes. I was on my own. And I would just take a fistful of ashes.
2: Mm.
3: And
4: the ashes would just... It was, a, it was a little windy and they would just dance into the distance oh god and it was like, it was like something out of Harry Potter or something like <laughs> steroids and it was just like I was setting her free and you would just watch the dust just disappear into the distance it was amazing it was amazing wow. it was I was like howling from a real deep deep place um, wow. but I felt so much better afterwards so much better afterwards, it was just beautiful, it was beautiful
3: wow.
4: um, i don't know, I don't want to bore people, but the next day then we had her uh, we had a small amount of rashes were buried with her mom and dad, and that was for her immediate family, her immediate family who with COVID, they weren't able to you know they weren't able to come here last October, so you know her two sisters, her brother, her niece's and nephew me, and then on the following day. Then we had a service in the church. The church, you know, neither was sort of us were religious, but we were both baptized in that church. And it's a beautiful yeah. church, and it brings people together, you know. Um, and it was like a full circle, you know. This is where it all kind of started for us. Um, uh, you know, we were baptized, and we did we did our communion there and our confirmation there. We didn't get married there. We got married in a treehouse in Costa Rica to uh, to uh, a lot of people's disappointment, but. Uh, Um, And it was a big, it's a big church. It was like, there was 200 people able to get in, 200 people there. It was beautiful. Wow. And people were so, um, people were so grateful that we were able to do it, you know. Wow. So that was it, you know, it was a really nice, it just, and I felt, you know, I feel relieved as well because it kind of, it was just like I said, it was just a long time building.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nine months, nearly
4: 10 months later, you know, so... But it all worked Perfect. out. I mean, it couldn't have worked out any uh, any better.
0: And, and so amazing, you had that window of time to get over there and, and back and before any more lockdowns. And, before and, any more lockdowns,
4: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I feel so yeah. blessed.
0: Wow, God, what an image that was of oh, you throwing the ashes into the wind.
4: Yeah, that was her spot, and um, that was her favorite spot in the whole world.
0: Very, very powerful to hear this having, we started having these conversations while she was still with us. And to see this passing of this time and of her and of all that you have processed and, and then you standing on that beach. And of course, obviously the processing of this goes on maybe to your last breath in terms of a great love Intense. You know but I, you know however big a grief or a loss is in one's being when you're in an accident of some sort your body is first it's shocked and it's it's using all of its power to just deal with the initial blow the the big pain initially and the whole system is fighting to contain that amount of the big blow one of the things, if we're lucky, that it forces is a bigger space around it of the beingness, you know, such that you start letting in lots more colors into the garden of who you are and what you love and what you what you are in service to.
4: Yeah, that's beautiful. I feel like that's so true that the, the grief, the grief doesn't really change. The pain is, it, I don't think it'll ever change, but the space around it will hopefully continue to get bigger.
1: Yes. Like. Yeah.
5: Well, everything that you shared in the beginning um, has a profound resonance as, as you're very well aware of with the conversations that we've been having. I'm in Canada in Ontario and I live alone and you know in a in a beautiful location, isolated in the woods, nestled in the woods. When you were talking about sensitive and empathic, my I tend towards that in my life. That's kind of been my blessing and my curse all of my life. Mm-hmm. And so it's virtually impossible for me to escape just the energy that's out there these days. I used to be able to do that a little easier prior to this dysfunctional dystopian reality that we're all now living around the globe. But the the oppressive energy is just, uh, it's inescapable. So today when I was out in the woods hiking with my dogs, I just gave myself permission to break down and I just, and it was, it was something that was very, very much needed. Something that I've been not necessarily holding because I don't have the tendency to hold back my emotions, but the the depth of grief that I was feeling was a little bit overwhelming. And I was, I was quite overcome by all of this. And it was a huge release And one thing I've learned over the years is to not analyze the movement of emotion that's coming through me because that just slows it down. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that it was definitely related to the the reality that we're all living in. Also, climate grief, you know, we're we're not necessarily in drought or deluge, or, you know, it's either drought or deluge everywhere. Um, But we've certainly experienced here in the Ottawa area, we've experienced the symptoms all around us. So there's been wildfire smoke, which takes away from my experiential time in nature. You know, it's it's hard to really immerse myself in the, the beauty of nature when I know that there is something much, much bigger going on all around me. And it... Uh, it's impossible to isolate myself from the oneness that we all are. You know, it's just that mm-hmm. these aren't isolated instances. This is, this is the entire planet that we all share that's becoming uninhabitable at uh, a dizzying rate. At the same time that uh, all of these oppressive measures are being imposed upon us with these divisive, polarizing tactics that are so painful so I don't like to take on the burden of pain with everything that's going on outside of me when inside of me and in my own life there's so much beauty but it's it's, it's hard to separate that out now and, and again it just comes down to that stark awareness of oneness Yeah. It's, it's really hard to separate it out. So I'm just, I'm feeling everything. I'm feeling everything as, as an empath, I'm feeling everything. I'm allowing it to move through me. And I'm noticing that the strategies that I've used in the past don't seem to have the efficacy that they used to. So I can meditate and I can't seem to calm down that inner anxiety like I used to, because this, this, body that I'm inhabiting is just so aware of all of the energies out there.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Um, so really everything that uh, you shared, just this powerful, powerful resonance with me. And I feel really grateful to be in the presence of other people who aren't denying their feelings, regardless of what it is that they're picking up on whether it's personal or whether it's global. But actually the global is personal now. So mm. it, it's it's not really any different. And it brings me, it brings me back to a place of presence. Yeah. Forces yeah. me into presence. And yeah. I think that's maybe ultimately that's what it is. I mean I'm kind of thinking out loud here. Maybe that's what feels so disorienting is being so present because I think we're so As a species, we're so well trained to either be future focused with our anxieties or feeling some sort of regret or sadness about a past that is no more. So, being snapped into, forced into a present is quite uh,
0: disorienting. Especially for we, the privileged, right? Because part of the big party we were having for a long time, decades, was that we got to fantasize about the future and we could make a lot of what we fantasized happen. We had yes, yes, with dreams yeah. and, and dreams that we could pull it off, so the challenge, for us in our time as the privileged is to let go of our big fantasy plans. But you're absolutely right. We have to find the joys in present awareness. It's Here we are. This is where we're actually living all along. And it is what the teachings have been about all along. But to your point, we're also not so very simple minded as creatures that we don't know that we live in a larger context. So there's a way in which, and especially for an empath, you can't really just ignore the context in which you live you can't really just be here in your own little tiny present and not realize that there's a bigger story happening all around you so it's this I find it a kind of toggle of sometimes getting very 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 focused in present awareness or in presence even if it's just something simple like cooking something or washing the dishes or wandering around the house you know swiffering the floor um <laughs> just this this animal doing this thing you know and then at the same time a coexisting awareness sweeps in of a widening of the lens in which i as i said am in my historical moment going oh my god you know wow <laughs> this is a really wild crazy you know it's man it's crazy I would argue, and many people have made the point, it's unlike any other time of crisis. There were horrible things that happened. Horrible, horrible things that happened to people. But there was never, I don't think, a global moment that it was happening to everybody at once, right? You could always, wherever you were, if Vikings landed on the shores of the west coast of Ireland and they came and took a bunch of people and killed the men and took the women and so on, horrible, terrible tragedy of immense proportions or the thing that's just happened in Afghanistan. But always in the past, you could dream that there was some other place that life went on normally and, and, and right. in, the, in the past, exactly. it always yes. had gone, you know. Uh, but this is different. And so, especially for someone who's highly empathic, the shared knowledge of that is amplified by going on a billion, you know. So it, it's very, not to mention the animals, of which I know you are extremely connected. There's many, many, many billions of them as well. And so it's, it's just this crazy moment to be alive here. And there are moments where I find it oddly exhilarating in a, not necessarily in a pleasant way it's got a kind of nervousness with it but that i feel we're watching something unfold that has never been seen before and it's going to be very very interesting how it now continues to unfold and how we are in it no matter how how you and i and we how we are in it despite how others behave in it, that's going to be very interesting because that's going to test our mettle and our strength and our courage and our commitment to honoring what we
1: know.
5: Absolutely. And I feel like those moments that emerge within myself that implore me to just let go and fall apart into a state of grief are really important because that's Part of the cleansing, so that yeah. I can move into a place that's more. I don't necessarily, I don't want to use the word strong or courageous, but yeah. Yeah, it's more, it's, I feel more tender there.
0: Yeah, and clear.
5: Yeah. And clear. Yeah. I see the direction that this is all going. And so that's um, also imploring me to recognize the impermanence. Mm-hmm. Of everything including myself Mm -hmm. and to really make peace with that
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely very good yeah that's definitely one of the allies is the recognition of impermanence Yeah. yeah beautiful
3: thank you
6: i just think that we have limits of how we're we're able to adjust to the new to the new game to the new stresses mm. to the new demands that are being, being made on us yeah. and I feel my security, my, my inner security is really challenged right now yeah and for me that's that's the the origin of a lot of the stress in my life. you know my, my you heart was it? pounding last night because um, the, the, the things that we've taken for granted over mm. all of these years in decades, I mean, I'm celebrating my 40th year as a musician, as a professional musician. It's been 40 years as Mm -hmm. of three days ago. All of what I take for granted is no longer there. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the systems no longer work the way they used to work. None of the points that we touch on, the places we visit are the same. And so it fills me with a great sense of being ill at ease, and mm-hmm. my my sense of security in my world was really challenged. Now mm-hmm. I have a daughter who is now on a barrier island off the coast of North Carolina, mm-hmm. and there is an absolutely monster hurricane yes. in the in the Atlantic that is, that is progressing slowly, and we don't know where that's going to land. And my daughter will be there when that when that mm-hmm. comes to shore. Wow. So I mean. This is another, you know, yeah. it's another stress. It's something in the, in the back of my head. Sure. You know, yeah. And, and yeah. How, how many of these things can we collect in the back of our heads before we, we reach a point where, well, we withdraw within ourselves? I mean, ultimately, we all have to withdraw within our own sec- most secure zone, which is in ourselves. Anyway, I've spoke, spoken far too long. But, um let's... no, no,
0: it was very that was very to the point uh, of what we're discussing here, the stress of living with these what journalist Christian Parenti calls a catastrophic convergence of crises, you know, that there's just so many hitting all at once, and we because of our ways of life that we were used to we we don't have any muscle for this built up some places people live with a lot more struggle and you know just getting through the day and getting enough food is is the main game and that's hard we haven't you know been used to like when you think about our problems of 20 years ago or 30 years ago what you considered your problems compared to now (laughs) it's it, you know it's it's a huge distance we have come in a relatively historically short time in terms of how bad it's gotten so fast in the last just a few years really so you know i i just keep coming back to being very gentle with ourselves you know being very understanding with ourselves knowing that when you're feeling like you're going a little bit crazy and i think many of us feel that way sometimes we feel like you know, you're just hanging on the edge of sanity. And like you described, your heart is pounding. I tend to tighten in my belly, you know, and I'll notice that I'm not breathing deeply because my belly's, I'm holding. There's no, you know, no self-recrimination about any of this to really just notice, oh, okay, take a breath, relax, focus on something either beautiful or just present awareness or something you're grateful for or just looking at an object of beauty or just even simple, small things. I've spoken about it many times. Just, you know, you get out your favorite pot to make some eggs, (laughs) you know? (laughs) It's like, just be grateful that you have this favorite pot and you have the eggs. Like that level of taking yourself in hand and saying, okay, we can... We can find a thousand things to worry about because there's plenty on offer, <laughs> and, um, and we can't help but think about some of them. We can't help it; it's in our face. Like even even in other times, if there was something terrible happening on the other side of the world, and you you know you heard about it on the news, but really, if you didn't hear about it on the news, you never would have known about it. But that's actually not true in our time now we are seeing the effects of climate chaos in our own communities we are seeing the effects of a pandemic that has now produced all of this sort of these crazy responses and another thing that i think is incredibly worrying that you know we are also reminded of constantly is how inept and confused and corrupt are the people in power so that's not a very calming thought but we keep seeing the evidence of it Right? We keep seeing more and more of that evidence rolling out. And these are all, like I said, drip, 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 different types of stresses that you know, we're dealing with. And then people are also dealing, in many cases, with ill health. Any old ordinary diagnosis on top of all this is very painful to, to have to carry. We have to really give ourselves a break as best we can. Treat yourself, spoil
1: yourself. Go ahead and spoil yourself. Um, in fact, it's funny you should say that because
3: what I want to say here is that how much I appreciate this group because I feel we're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And I through experiences... No, before that, I'll just say that, Catherine, I really relate to your about sort of where to be you know I'm based in France but I'm from the UK and Mm -hmm. three things have made me much more based in France which is Covid, Brexit and the death of my mother about a year ago and so suddenly what used to be a real home has become a sort of somewhat alien place and a place more difficult to to go to. But that's obliged me to actually take France more seriously and to sort of say, well, look, this is where I've landed up. And, uh, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> it could be much, much yes. worse. Yes. <laughs> but, but anyway, just two things have happened recently in relation to climate change understanding or so climate change acknowledgement for me. The first was that I was on a very brief holiday with some people who I don't, two other couples that I don't know very well. We were sitting in the garden and one of the women said, yeah, I mean, this climate change, it's really, really serious, isn't it? And I realised it's the first time that someone has said that, that it hasn't been me saying that. I'm out there saying, you know, look, this is really serious. And, you know, and I feel like I'm always sort of this Cassandra that's irritating everybody, reminding us all. And it was just like such a pleasure. And I, I, I wrote to this person afterwards in SMS saying, you know, let's get together. And then the opposite happened to me because I did go to London recently because there's no more um what you call it quarantine. And I my my uncle died just before I arrived, which was really I was really pleased to be there because I've got cousins and I it was just lovely to all be together. But everybody there that I was mixing with is in denial. And it was like I just felt increasingly lonely. And it's not that I need to talk about it the whole time. Right. I just find it so difficult to be with people who are acting as though nothing's happening. Yes. And, and and here at least people are used to me going on and on about it. So whether they join me or not in believing it, they, they know that that's how you, how it is for me. Right. Um, So yeah. Anyway, I mean, so as I say, just, I love this group.
0: So I, I feel exactly the same as you, even if one isn't talking about the subject all the time, Just knowing that your friend or friends see the picture, there's something very, very comforting about that. You don't feel so alone. Whereas if you're with people who are in denial or just do not want this subject addressed whatsoever, you know you're dancing around this elephant in the room and what i call the elephant on fire in the room by the way that you're having to kind of protect them or not say this and don't go there and or if they say something that you just flat out no is 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 really wishful thinking you have to bite your tongue you know you have to not respond or find some other change of subject and all of that it's it's not as relaxing as being with people who just where you know it's outed, I suppose. it's I suppose that's why people who are uh, addicts and alcoholics are so happy to be in a group of people who basically say, "I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. <laughs> I lost everything. My lo- wife left me, left me. I lost my home. I lost my job. I, I got a DU, DUI. I had to do some time. Whatever. You know, being with people who are speaking the truth, yeah how hard this is, you know, instead of living in pretense, which is just exhausting to be around, I find. As you know, I wrote that long essay. I wrote it because I had been so lonely in seeing all of that. And I wrote it just to be just holding hands with people who are also seeing it. (laughs) That's why I wrote it. I just thought people are lonely out there in this And now a lot more people do see what's coming. And they do see what is happening on this planet. But still, as you're pointing out, a lot don't.
1: Yeah. A lot do not see it. Yeah. Unfortunately, they will. If they live
0: long enough, they will. It will be clear to everyone on the planet. And... This, this time of so-called pandemic, I think one of its advantages is that it's readying us for this adaptability and getting used to things change fast and you've got to make do and figure out and let go and find peace somehow that is not in the external circumstances. <laughs> There is that one advantage I'd say to this whole
1: exercise that we've had.
7: Thanks for sharing your your own, you know, process at the moment. I suppose in in Ireland there's this opening up, you know, the narrative has changed from we had quite a strict lockdown and then there were these, you know, disagreements that we had, one of the strictest lockdowns in Europe. And now there's this kind of swing to an optimism because there's been such high vaccination. But I, I think they're being too optimistic in the midst of the delta wave. And it's it's interesting to see what I think is is a struggle to give a message that people can cope with, you know. Yes. With, with, with and i and i do
0: think that i think you're absolutely right that um if you look at what's happening in israel where they're massively vaccinated
7: and their hospitals are filled with the vaccinated yeah this is what i think this is what i feel is going to happen because yeah. people are you know on the one hand there's this idea that we're all got traumatized and we're never going to recover from you know the isolation yeah. but on the other people seem to forget so easily i think you know not
0: what who am i, I to know what's going to happen with any yeah. of this but uh there has to be some intelligent balance struck uh, yeah. of you yeah. know having. Yeah taking responsibility for themselves but also some kind of mitigation of this of just being at risk yeah i mean I, I i read that the uk is actually i'm not sure i didn't vet it but i read it in one place that the uk is not letting people from israel in all right um so that's pretty ironic given how highly vaccinated they are yeah so it's something lovely. to really think about because you know what we're seeing is that the vaccines, at least the Pfizer and the yeah. Moderna, are failing against uh, Delta. Right. And That's this what we're thinking. Yeah. In, in, I mean, that's that's the data. That's that's just the yeah. pure data. And, and in the U.S. now they're saying they have to they have to have the boosters rolling out. Right. Israel is saying you, this is should be a three shot regime now. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Th- th- that there it is right there. So we have yeah, to really yeah. look at this and take, take responsibility for
7: your own health and be be careful. Yeah, that's what's been confusing me. I suppose I, if you, if you already have a health condition, you're more conscious of it. Yeah. So I would be more conscious of risk. But it, it's just, just a bit, yeah, when I hear the messages, you know, sometimes one of our leaders will come out and say something and it just doesn't seem right. You know, it just seems a little <laughs> bit. I, I just think, is, it, is this trying to manage the populace really? Because, right. um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to say to you that's been kind of gurgling for a few weeks, but that I've been I've noticed that I'm quite I'm getting more resistant to guru energies, you know, in other satsangs. And I, I you know, I, can, I know I can say this to you when you talk about choosing peace, it feels different than sort of an urgency that sometimes I hear where I feel like, oh my God, I have to find out who I am or something, you know. And, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. I've got a lot of homework to get enlightened. <laughs> exactly. And and maybe this is just it. For, you know, maybe there's no more. Is, is there a moment where... No, you know, no. see. there's a
0: thousand moments a day of choosing peace. That's how it yeah. is for me. I mean, basically, there's no steady state that I ever hope for, but that I just notice in my own case, when I'm going crazy, when I'm getting into big stories about the future, when I'm into the sort of damn it all moment, <laughs> I know it's my signal, especially if I start feeling it in my body. Yeah, it's my yeah. signal to reset my attention. That's that's all there is to it. It's not like some magic formula that only if you, if you could only kind of crack the code, and see through the
7: illusion of samsara, and then you'll be fine and you'll be protected. Yeah, you know? the, the the phrase "bless" I suppose is is maybe a bit misleading. Is it? That's that can be used. I mean, I get it for a moment. You know, there's yes, a for moment maybe. Moment. Sure. Yeah, um, definitely for moments. But yeah, you know,
0: but, but I mean this. This reality in which we live has inherent suffering. It has inherent suffering because yeah. every single thing you love and enjoy, you will be parted from. You, you go out or you have fun. You have, you know, you love, yeah. you have a long, yeah. fabulous yeah. marriage and oh, gone. The yeah. person dies. The love is left in your heart, but the person is not there, you know. So, I mean, it's just built into the system.
8: Yeah, I had a couple of thoughts about, you know, some of the topics you've hit upon. First about how this time expands our resilience. Mm-hmm. How if we're lucky to be in the types of situations that most of us are. Yeah. I'm I'm living in yeah, exorbitant uh, privilege, I would say. I'm in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, that's right. You've yeah. told me before right yeah
0: and you have Uh, pigeons or something you want
8: (laughs) (laughs) exotic uh, urban bird life (laughs) yeah I mean we've fully we've basically fully opened up for for better and for worse there's been a lot of weighing going on of public health versus mental health Yes. cost and living uh, in incredible privilege but something I've been reflecting on is is at what kind of moments in my life can I allow my resilience to expand when do I have the sort of capacity to let to let that kind of fuel you for for darker times as mm-hmm. some of you are in now or have already gone through or will absolutely go through in the future. I've been reading a a book by Andrew Solomon called The Anatomy of Depression. It's a gigantic tome on personal uh, experience as well as really deeply researched, you know, history and medical and cultural and sort of reflections on depression. And he describes how when he is in remission from really, really, crippling completely incapacitating depressive episodes he will go on uh very very intense wilderness journeys like these really trying white water kayaking journeys where all you take is like a match and a few (laughs) pockets of food Mm -hmm. and i mean you don't have to test your your body physically to achieve this but when you test yourself you can expand your capacity to to cope when things get very hard. So I I feel I've been experimenting with that with during this time sort of feeling into okay how am I going to cope now and then how is this going to serve me in the future. I really uh, enjoyed hearing you speak about just uh, a little bit and I know you've spoke about it a lot in the past is when there is a decision to be made you are reflecting on mm-hmm. to travel or to not to travel to move or to not to move mm-hmm. and yeah there's a there's a few times in your life um yeah am I'm, I'm only 30 so I've only <laughs> I've still come up upon maybe two or three of these but I'm wondering if you can reflect a little bit on so you go into quiet to avoid the the spiral the never ending mm-hmm. <laughs> spiral of overthinking that won't deliver the answer to you anyway right but you also you even when you do go into quiet and you get a bit of a feeling a bit of a, a tendency towards the right thing to do it's never going to be uh, a black or white uh, answer so mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that, that's something that I'm trying to tune into with myself. It, at what point is the gut feeling uh, yeah, something you. to follow? It's, uh, yeah, that's something I definitely struggle with. I would say. Another
0: part of it is a resolve that, that says, if I decide to take a step in this or that direction, a kind of inner resolve that says, okay, I'm going to handle... Because I'm not gonna expect it's gonna just all work out in the most idyllic way. I'm gonna handle it as it goes yeah. and live with my decision. Or if there's an opportunity, if you take a few steps in that direction and there's an opportunity to pull back, if you see, oh, this isn't feeling right, then you pull back. You give yourself a lot of permission to be strong in the in the path that you've taken. Yeah. And letting go as you go but also permission to change course if need be and that's what I rely on more and sometimes it's sometimes it's nothing more than trying it on in my mind a bit really like getting serious about a certain step I'm going to take and then then picturing a few steps down the road and saying "Uh uh-oh those look like really big rapids that I'm going to yeah. hit, you know. And even though if I go that direction, I, I will try to stay in the resolve to handle those rapids. But sometimes you see those rapids and you think, no,
8: that looks a little too dangerous, you know. Yeah, sort of loose commitment to how you think it's going to go. Yes. And also there's
0: a kind of surrender to going not necessarily the way that is your demand of how things go but rather how things are going mm. so yeah. it, that's another part of the flexibility is that you you get very nimble and very easy with okay this is the new normal
8: yeah yeah it's hard to balance with with the imaginings it's hard it's hard to not let that spiral <laughs> i would say yeah. into yeah. either positive or negative fantasy um, yes
0: absolutely no i i totally Get that, but I guess really coming back to what I've just said, that the ease of being is in is in your clarity in your heart that is saying, okay, I am flexible. I will handle whatever whatever spot I'm going to find myself in. And you know, sometimes we do make a a step, and it turns out to be way more difficult, perhaps than. Having taken the the other fork in the road, mm. but there you are on it. What are you going to do? Yeah. Thank you so much.
9: Um, you were talking at the very start in your opening remarks about the anxiety of of these choices and the having to make these choices in periods of great flux and uncertainty. And one thing that's not going to help making those choices, so maybe I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but one of the things that's really echoed, and I think it was actually mentioned by, by one of the participants, it was, the phrase was the freedom of not knowing. Mm-hmm. and if you can somehow just accept that uncertainty yes. that's not going to help you make a difficult decision of course and the, this is this is my divergence from from what what was was being discussed but one of the aspects of that uncertainty is if it if you can somehow just come to terms with it and just let it be i mean i've found that i no longer subject myself to the drip drip although you can't i don't actively go and seek those the news we have this some we have this sort of cognitive dissonance where we sort of get terrified by the news, but we can't seem to keep returning to it and, and obsessively, you know, updating ourselves on more bad news. I, I just can't do that anymore. I don't. Uh, the news comes to me because I can't avoid it. I had a few kind of trying to stop news coming into my life and it was when I heard that phrase, the the freedom of not knowing, mm-hmm. letting that just just it's not going to help me. It can't, no. it can't really help me. It can't right. help me be a better person. It can't. That's, yeah, it can't that's help you enjoy your, uh,
0: your life, you know. We're inundated with too much information all the time now mm. in our world, which is... Vastly different than when I was a child, let alone in previous times, you know, when you just got the news of your local village. That's what's important. I I
4: still
9: consume local news voraciously. I want to, I read my local paper uh, cover to cover two or three times each week. The Echo, God bless the Echo.
3: That's
9: such a great, great. But uh, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the bigger picture. I mean, yeah. Anyway, that's something that's really resonated with me and it. I was sort of, as it continues to return to me, I was thinking about your opening mm-hmm. remarks and that that challenge of making some of these decisions and trying to find out everything, but maybe the flip side is just, just yeah. not knowing and, and trying to find freedom in that. I mean, it's... Yeah, we're, yeah.
0: There's a Krishnamurti book called Freedom from the Known. That's the title. It's like the whole point, I mean, his is, he's making much more of a Dharma case. Krishnamurti is the author. It's it's about, again, like in a spiritual, in many spiritual scenes, one of the things they're selling is a kind of certainty, but it's it's false, right? It's really false, but people so crave it. As I was saying at the beginning, people so crave certainty they will sacrifice all kinds of things their their discernment and their children and their everything you know they'll they just want the path they want to know where this is going to lead and this is how it's going to go and but his point is much more about living in the unknown and having to accommodate that and and even revel in it um that you know that you that you have a freedom from this this pressure of having to know.
6: Thank you. Yeah.
1: You're welcome.
10: I identify, I really heard what you said about the where you are at the moment because it reminds me of our winter. We're in uh, September now, we've, we've been through the summer. So, uh-huh. but in the winter, there was this endless, just four walls syndrome, not being able to travel out of London, maybe to the local park, but that was about it. And it went on for so long. And we were kept together in friendship by by Zoom, which was a godsend. But, you know, other than that, there was nothing going on. Yeah. And it just reminded, yeah, I heard what you said, And of course, we've been through the summer now where we can at least go out to outdoor events. Well, some people are congregating together in all sorts of indoor situations, but personally, I still prefer the great outdoors. And particularly over the summer, I've had a number of changes and real challenges to deal with, just which are consequent on the pandemic. And I'm always interested in stories about how people overcome them. And I came across a a story in the news about Afghanistan where an army man was stuck in Mm -hmm. Afghanistan and the embassy told him to uh, stay put, we'll come and get you. Mm -hmm. And he didn't believe them. And he Mm -hmm. thought, this is chaotic. I'm not going to believe them. I'm going to head for the border. So he gathered himself together and actually got to the border and escaped. And he was telling him a story from another country and saying, thank mm-hmm. God I escaped because yeah. they would not have come for me. But he was saying that his army training helped him to calm his mind. He was saying that, you know, when everything is just up in the air, you can't even think straight. Right. Army training somehow gave him the resilience to think straight, despite the chaos around them. Um, mm-hmm. So I haven't achieved that yet, but I, I'm just open to the idea that doing something different or maybe challenging yourself in another way can help to expand your resilience.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, as, as we've been saying so many in so many different ways uh, in the voices tonight, know we're hearing the way that we've all been coping in to varying degrees throughout this whole thing and i propose there is some kind of readying that's happening there's some kind of way in which it won't shock you for instance if there's a new big spread of something that is not containable by any of the vaccines thus far. Mm -hmm. And there's more lockdowns. That's not going to come as a huge surprise. There will be an adaptation. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
0: Yeah. And you'll go on with your life as you've already done in the other lockdowns. And yeah. you'll find new joys and new ways to get through the day and and all the little moments of gratitude. You get to still hang out with your Zoom friends, we hope. And um, you know all those things that there there's a fortitude in this,
10: yeah, I think I'm always just on the lookout for ways to get out of the rabbit hole because I tend to you know go down the rabbit hole sometimes. Mm-hmm yeah you know it's learning isn't it about how other people do it and how you can apply (laughs) it in your own life
0: and also uh yeah have a listen to leonard's song you want it darker
10: i I fell in love with his songs really through you on one of the retreats you were talking very lovingly about leonard and I think before that, I had a concept that his, um, somebody had told me that his songs were depressing. And Mm. so I just discounted it. And since that, I've really listened to the words and they're. Right. They're They're not depressing. They're just the truth. (laughs) (laughs) He's just
0: a truth teller. And he also weaves in extraordinary poetic appreciation of life throughout and it's also funny if you really listen to his lyrics he's he's just constantly quipping all through them so it's yeah it is interesting but he does have there is that reputation people think that his music is depressing and I just feel that that's a very frankly shallow uh listening of it
11: <laughs> this is um I am so profoundly sad mm. and I am grateful for you and for this group and, um, and just talking about things that are are so deep. And, and I mean, essentially, this is an experience that nobody on the planet has ever gone through before. There's never been a society or a culture or a time or a place or anyone individually who has ever had to confront essentially the collapse and the end times of everything. And this is, this is nothing that anybody can prepare for. This is nothing that we have a a roadmap to guide us, right? This is an experience, not only a personal death in a hospice fashion where we have, for example, the, the phases of grief, but this is planetary grief, right? This is grief on a global scale and, I read your essay, Facing Extinction, and got in touch with you after reading that because you laid out some of the, the framework for what I was experiencing in that. But, you know, there are no no communities that do this. There are no groups that you can just go to locally and find and just have this experience of sharing, you know, this this incredible sadness you have about what's taking place so yeah i just i'm so grateful for you and for how you have organized this and i have a little experience with uh, as you say the, the dharma i don't know exactly what that is per se but um i have a little experience with mindfulness meditation and that sort of thing so i appreciate that particular perspective on this but I mean, here we are together, right here here in this profound, this incredible moment of civilization and planetary sort of unity, if you like, over yeah. this, this incredible thing that's happening everywhere at the same time. I mean, just to give context, we evacuated our residence in 2008 because of one fire, 2009, because of another fire, 2017, because of another fire. And then we have these mudslides happen in 2018 that killed 30 people just close mm-hmm. to us. And that was before all this should happen this year, right? I mean, that was, those were the easy the years. The good old days, yeah. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, what's taking place now is just so far beyond that. And, it's hard to, to like, even hold on to where we are in this ride, right? I mean, because every day, I mean, somebody wrote on Twitter, like, it's been an incredible year this week. You know, it's just like, I mean, what a what a profound sequence of events we've lived through yeah. in just this, this microscopic period of time. So, you know, I came into this my first time being here, and I came into this not really knowing and honestly a bit skeptical because there is this sort of thing I call spiritual override, mm-hmm. whereas we can just make this really cosmic, you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. we can all just sort of meditate and be, you know, all zen about it. Mm-hmm. And it's so much deeper than that. And we're just, we're just trying to find a family or a tribe or a group to have this experience with that that allows us to feel some sense of of communication and some sense of of connection with others. You know, that's where it's at.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That literally a sense that you're holding hands with those who see the picture and that nobody, as you're pointing out, we don't have a playbook for this. So no one can, no one has the path right it's not about that at this point i emphasize over and over again the importance of finding community and it doesn't have to be in a physical same place nice though that is if if one can have that uh, locally that's great but even to just find your heart comrades however we can and i do think You know, turn to your loved ones, for all of us, however you can, however you meet them, and to those who get the picture wherever you can find them. Most people don't yet. I think the message is being delivered, but it's coming slowly to a lot of people, and that's fine. I I don't wish this on anybody, but as, as people wake up to the situation, they will need People with whom they can sit in this quiet and in this awareness and not and, and be met in the heart
6: I think you know, it's just
0: t- just as like I've spoken about this many times when people are at the end of their lives, often they they, they cannot bear to have people around them who are denying that fact if they know that they're dying it's very energetically draining to have to pretend otherwise in order to assuage somebody's resistance and denial it's the last thing you want <laughs> and so in this same way for people to recognize at the very least we we're in a crisis it's not a crisis actually it's a it's a cascade of crises and Yes, we are still living these great lives, most of us, in terms of privilege, in terms of any one of our days. Any one of our days might seem like a vacation to much of the world. What's not on offer for us is the fabulous future we're envisioning. That one we cannot, we can't assume so really, we're left with gratitude for this. And I'm not doing a kind of bypass of a spiritual nature. I'm speaking from my own direct experience. As I'm saying, I spend quite enough time in the grief about it all. You probably surmised from my essay. I've also processed the ways that I am able to calm myself down. What are their perspectives?
11: So I just want to share that this is a weird sort of inspiration as well. I happen to have both of my my kids are involved. I have two sons. They're both involved in alternative energy and solar wind, that sort of thing, kind of a high level. Mm. And I have grandchildren. And it is this kind of strange thing, you know, to have children who both recognize the state of the planet and are doing everything they can you know this is this is their lives this is what they want is to help the planet survive so that their kids can still have a planet and have that kind of dichotomy at the same time that I'm kind of recognizing that no (laughs) that's not going to happen I, I do have a background, sort of a science background. I was a meteorology advisor as an undergraduate, and I was, you know, a math PhD and professor, all that kind of stuff. So I have kind of the scientific perspective that when I read the IPCC, it's like, okay, this is a baseline. It's going to be worse than that. These guys have agreed on like, like what they can agree on. The intergovernmental, right. like every government has to agree on this, so that yeah. they're you know, they're not going to have an economic crisis or they're not going to, you know, have their own problem exporting, whatever they're doing. Like, like that's the minimum. I
10: mean, and it
11: is really, really bad. Right. I mean, this is the best year. This yeah. is the best year we are going to see. And I try and share that with my my kids who are so invested in this. And and there is that denial thing still happening. Right. And so so this 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 idea that everywhere you turn, you know, you face denial. I tried to bring this up in a group of musicians I play with, and I was just shut down immediately. Right? It's just nobody wants to talk about this. This is the the denial phase is still so huge in our mm-hmm. our groups, our friends, our our loved ones. You know, the ones we're with every day. And you know, that's one of the stages of grief, right? Denial. It's one of the early stages of life. First one. You know. <laughs> and- Level, And and that's where we are. I mean, I kind of am of the opinion there's no linear progression of the stages of grief. You can experience any one of them in any order over and over again in any cycle. But, you know, with the people I'm with, I just feel shut down over and over again when I want to talk about these things. And, you know, just be able to express Express these these experiences I'm having. Um, I'm so grateful. My wife is involved with being a death doula and a hosp, and she's in hospice and all those things, and she totally understands like like death, right? <laughs> so I'm so fortunate to have a, a partner who is like that. But I, you yeah. know, so many people among us in your group and. Otherwise, or even having these conflicts with their own partners, with their, with their closest allies, with their closest friends, you know, just, just being able to experience the, the grief that they are having, the, the, you know, this experience with just anyone at all, you know, and yeah. so it's such a blessing for me personally to at least have one person close to me, you know, who gets it. Yeah. So, I mean, just sharing yeah. that.
0: That's huge. You have a lot of blessings from what you've just said. And I would just say, just as an offering of what I've experienced in coming to terms with the data, which I was looking at for a very, very long time. I began writing about global warming in the 1980s. And at the time, you just sounded like you were chicken little screaming, you know, you looked sounded like a crazy person. But there's not much reward in trying to wake people up to this information. People have to come to it in their own way and you can't rip the skin off the snake and you you really don't want to be doing that. That's what I have discovered. And I've had a lot of very unpleasant conversations over the many, many years around all of this, whereby I was trying to tell people what was coming. And in the end, I see it wouldn't have mattered, actually. They didn't need to know. Now, the other thing I wanted to just say for all of us, too, is that even though it all does look like it's headed into collapse, there may be possibly something we can't yet imagine, something that doesn't exist, something that there may be. Who knows? I mean, I do leave out a tiny chance. Yes, the IPCC reports are always anemic compared to what's happening, and they the very next time they come out with one, it negates all the previous predictions, which were all way too optimistic. And they have to keep moving their own goalposts, but they never will catch up to the, to the reality, it seems, due to the political influences. But I still say, let's, as best we can, have some margin of just simply not knowing. It looks bad. I agree. And... How long it takes, or what might, I don't know, it, it's, we can't quite know all that part. So good to reserve and to keep living as though this day matters. Your wife would be a great teacher in that. No doubt she has seen people in hospice who lived some of their best days of, of love and of forgiveness and of really getting what matters here that only if only they had known earlier but that they even that they got to come to it in the end people who hadn't talked to a certain relative in 40 years and that they might have been able to die in peace some of those things do happen you know and let's let this heavy burden in our hearts let's let it be a totem reminder of needing to be courageous step up be honorable and those who want to keep trying those who want to keep you know the good fight i'm on their team I, i i don't have the wherewithal to do it nor do i have the confidence but i love that some do and you know, there's a line I also love, which I think I might have in my essay. W.S. Merwin said, it, on the last day of the world, I would want to plant a tree. That you keep, you know, you keep doubling down for life and you keep trying. And for your children who have children of their own, they have to do this. They have to. So many of my friends who are parents have told me this.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. Oh. <laughs> I am so much more optimistic than than the rest of us I'm in the hearing. Yes. <laughs> like you, I've been deep down in the environment for decades. Yes. And um, I believe that we're gonna figure this out, you know, between fusion and policy and bravery and resourcefulness i mean i i yeah there's going to be a lot of suffering of course but i i i have a lot of hope i have a lot of hope and and um and i'm gonna keep fighting every day
10: and i'm seeing a lot of
1: people engaged and i'm seeing a lot of hands on deck and and uh Ah, oh, you know, when I think of the Cold War, I mean, I I'm I'm 68. Um, you know, we were worried. We were, you know, I mean, we've been we've been through some hard times. Yeah. We're going to get through this.
0: I hope you're right. And I know you you hang out with the, in the crowd of people who are really looking at solutions.
1: And so I really yeah. honor that. I truly honor that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is looking grim, and, but, but people are waking up all over the place, and we have to keep holding on to that, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see that there's, you know, different people's nature responds differently. Some people don't have a, they're not comfortable with the notion of hope. Mm. But also, I wouldn't recommend hopelessness, as I'm saying. Um, But some people really do have a resonance with hope. And I've had to learn to see that there's just people have different natures and different approaches to this. So whether you're working from a place of having hope, and that's what gives you motivation, or you're working from the place of just pure and simple, it's the right thing to do. I'm a cheerleader for your team. <laughs> right. I want your team to win. <laughs> so I don't I don't have the luxury of having that hope per se. And again, I don't really indulge hopelessness either. I just don't engage with the notion. Somehow or other, I I left it or it left me. But I do see that that there are plenty of people who are incredibly energized and are on the front lines. And I know that you are one of them and that you, you help so many people who are on the front lines.
3: You know, it's, it's beautiful, yeah. Thanks.
12: You know, I, I'm, I'm certainly cognizant of everything that's going on um, or of most things that are going on. I read the news a lot, but I have found a lot of hope and, even happiness, just in dealing, being with people on a one-to-one basis. As you may know, I'm winding down my, at least the physical aspect of my business. And so i become an itinerant furniture salesman. I've sold desks and file cabinets and (laughs) everything that goes with the business. And the, the biggest reward is not selling it, it's meeting these people. And, you know, so are you setting up a home office? And What's going on with you? And I've had many extended conversations over the last, well, eighteen months or so, um, and it's it's so it feels so enriching. People really seem to want to connect, and I do too. And it's just it's been such a gift, uh, uh, not just in the business uh, side, but I mean, even you know, going to a medical appointment and having an extended conversation with the receptionist on a very deep level. I mean, I had a, a 15 minute conversation and we were both in tears at the end of the conversation. It got that deep, that quick. And I was just, wow, what, something's going on here that yes. people are reaching out or people are just being very present, I think is what it is. I know for me, that's what it feels like. It's so much less about the future, which maybe I had some idea what I thought the future used to be, but so, not, not anymore. I've, I've kind of given up on trying to construct any kind of a future because it changes, or it's not. It's not in any kind of roadmap I've ever learned. Yeah. So by default, or by force, or by fiat, I'm finding myself in the present, and it seems to be a great place to connect with people.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, it reminds me of the famous quote. Be kind for everyone you see is carrying a great burden. I think we're all being very, very tenderized by the pressure we're under. And some people will respond in very negative ways and be more cruel and more selfish. And and their insanity will show through their actions. But there are many, many of us who will respond with goodness, as people do in hard times. Kindness not only goes a long way, it goes the distance. This has been In The Deep. You can find the entire list of In The Deep podcasts at Katherine Ingram dot com, where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time.